Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that this summer is stressing the importance of being a good steward, avoiding crowds, and staying safe on the trail. We'll talk about how just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages everyone to come out and experience state parks during its centennial, the 100th anniversary of the state park system especially through service projects like the ones listed at stateparks.oregon.gov. It's a way to enjoy the parks while doing activities like cleaning up trails and restoring wetlands. All right, in today's episode, we're heading to one of Oregon's largest mountains, a place that rises like an alpine island above the desert. It's home to the state's highest road, what might be our most beautiful lake, and a hiking and backpacking experience through massive gorges unlike anywhere else in the Pacific Northwest. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, well, today we're traveling out to the far side of Oregon, to a place I'd describe as almost an alpine island above an ocean of Oregon desert. Steens Mountain is Oregon's seventh tallest mountain, but to call it a mountain doesn't really capture it. It's often mistaken for a range of mountains because Steens is a fault block that stretches 50 miles from end to end and is home to an entire ecosystem of canyons, lakes, creeks, sagebrush, and juniper. It's an incredible road trip destination, home to the state's highest road, one of Oregon's most beautiful lakes, and all manner of deep gorges that are a joy to explore. Today, we're going to talk about all the stuff you can do there. And so I'm joined by Ann White with the Oregon Natural Desert Association and an expert on all things Steens. Ann, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Happy to talk about Steens. All right. So to get started, why don't you talk about Steens Mountain by painting a picture? Like I've been there twice, I think, over the years, so I know it kind of well, but it's a place that's a little hard to describe because it's just completely different from any mountain that we think of on the west side of the state. We're used to snow-capped volcanic peaks. This is very much not like that. So can you kind of talk about the landscape a little bit? What does it look like and, and kind of what is it? Yeah, so Steens lies in the northeastern extent of the Great Basin, which is characterized by dramatic basin and range topography. What that means is that this large mountain, as you described, rises about 5,000 feet above the valleys to the east and west and contains a variety of different habitats. Um, during the last ice age, numerous glaciers were found on the mountain, which scoured the mountain as the ice melted, creating a series of dramatic U-shaped gorges that hold several lush riparian corridors today. So Steens really has it all, sagebrush, mountains, and rivers, all in southeastern Oregon landscape. Yeah, and it's just, it's an interesting place visually because it almost feels like you're traveling up kind of a ramp in some ways. Like you, we'll talk about the road a little bit later, but you, it's like you're going up and up and up and all of a sudden there's like a sheer cliff. And so it's just, it's a weird place to explore 
And is that is that characteristic of other landscapes over there? I was thinking of the Heart Mountain uh, we talked about recently. Like, is there a lot of these kind of mountains in this part of the country? Yeah, so you'll see that a lot. Heart Mountain's a great example. So is Abert Rim near Abert Lake. That's kind of um, a result of the faulting that occurred that really created these basin and range um, sort of areas where you have really high escarpments and then low valleys. And there was a lot of tilting with these faults. So that's why you get that kind of gradual slope down, usually toward the west side and with the east side really having this almost sheer cliff face. Yeah, it's 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 dramatic. And we'll talk about kind of the summit and uh, Wild Horse Lake a little bit later, but it's pretty bizarre because you're not used to that. And then all of a sudden you kind of look over the edge and it's almost like <laughs> just the craziest drop of a cliff at the edge of Steens Mountain that you've ever seen. It's like, what, a vertical mile, I think, from the summit down to the yeah. desert or something like that? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get into all the cool and specific places in more detail a bit later. But what do people generally do out at Steens? Like, why make this is a pretty lengthy road trip, especially if you're coming from the Willamette Valley and even from Bend. So why make that trip and what are people generally doing out there? So hiking and sightseeing are probably the top draws in the area, and understandably so, with how much topographic variation is out there. There's really nowhere else that you're going to see such impressive and characteristic U-shaped gorges as you will in, in this part of the state, at least. And that really, I think, is largely what creates these dramatic, such wonderful photographic landscape places. Fishing is also pretty popular. Uh, especially along the western flank where you have a lot of these rivers that are draining down into the Donner and Blitzen Valley. And then hunting is probably the other big draw out there. There's a, quite a few big game species and some upland birds that really bring people out to that area. And Steens in general is just a really one-of-a-kind place in the south, southeastern Oregon landscape. The Bureau of Land Management touts it as one of the crown jewels of the high desert, and it really is that. It's the only wilderness area in southeastern Oregon and has over 170,000 federally protected acres. So just a massive, massive area. And what you really get to see then is this ecologically intact and vibrant desert with so many different recreational opportunities. And there's also a lot of solitude. You know, it's such a vast landscape that even during the busier months, when there's a lot more people visiting, you can still find yourself completely alone and really enjoy that feeling of being just this very small part of this massive landscape. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Well, let's talk about, we're going to talk about the cool stuff you can do there in more detail, but let's talk about making a base camp because like I mentioned, this is a long drive. Uh, if you're coming from the Willamette Valley, it's even a long drive from Ben. So where would you make a base camp if you want a roof over your head. So what are the, what are some of the towns or some of the resorts if you're looking for that kind of like softer experience? So Burns is probably going to be the best option. Um, if you want to have a lot of amenities, it's definitely further from Steens, but you've got a lot more options for different lodging. Um, they have grocery stores, they've got any other services and amenities that you might need. So they really have it all. But if you want to be closer to Steens, there are a couple options in some of these smaller towns along the way. Uh, the French Glen Hotel, which is located on the west side of Steens, is a pretty popular and well-known place, as is the Hotel Diamond, which I believe is the oldest 
Hotel um, in Southeastern Oregon, and that's located in Diamond, which is more on the Northwest side. Or you can also stay at Fields, which is at the very Southern end of the mountain. And all of these have um, little hotels that can accommodate a fair number of people, not as many as Burns. And then they offer some food options and some other basic services as well. Yeah, I love the small southeastern Oregon towns. Each one of them has its own very specific character uh, that you don't really find anywhere else. Can you tell me more about uh, French Glen specifically? I think there's a, I think State Parks runs that hotel. It's this really enchanting little spot. So what makes that that's place specifically so cool. Yeah, the French Glen Hotel has been around for over a hundred years, um, which is quite a long time. And it's it's located on the former location of the Pea Ranch, which was famously run by Peter French, a cattle baron um, in that area. And the town is actually named after him and his father-in-law, Hugh Glenn. Um, he tragically met a terrible end, uh, but he was a pretty ruthless person. Um, and since that time, ODFW actually bought the hotel in the 30s and originally owned it and then later sold it to Oregon State Parks, who now manages it. So it's a state heritage site, which is really great just for preserving the the legacy and the history of that area. And because of that, this town really feels like a step back in time. You know, you really feel like you're there during the pioneer days. Not a lot has changed. It's really just a few buildings. And it allows you to really soak in the views of Steens Mountain and the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, which is another major draw to that area. Yeah. And being in that hotel, don't they have, I never got a chance to stay there, but like, I think when people stay there, it kind of has that old West feel where like everybody comes down for breakfast at the same time or something like that. Like, yeah, they do meals. And the very first time I drove through the town, I saw standing outside of kind of the, the mercantile store, I saw a guy that I think was the proprietor that was dressed like he was straight out of an old Western movie. You know, he had the bands around his upper forearms. He was wearing a full suit. He had a mustache. It just was like quintessential Western movie. It was such a neat thing to see. And that's what I mean. Like you can go to these little towns and if you like tilt your head to the side, kind of forget that you have a car you might think you're like in the old West. I mean, it, it, it actually feels like that without like working, working too hard. Wait, you mentioned, did you just mention a ruthless end to, to somebody who had the name yeah, for the yes. French club? You can't leave me hanging. What, what, <laughs> what, what happened? So Peter French was pretty brutal out there. He would take land from other ranchers in the area and got into quite a few shootouts and he eventually met his end by a disgruntled fellow rancher who shot him in the back as he was leaving a contentious meeting they had and i think a lot of people were pretty relieved that he was no longer in the picture um he (laughs) did a lot out in that area and there's a lot of things that are named for him you know the the round barn is a pretty cool site to go to he had quite a few of those out there he just made it cattle ranching a huge operation in that area. And it's probably a good thing he's not around anymore. Well, it's funny you mentioned I hadn't heard the word cattle baron before. I guess over on the west side, we hear the word timber baron all the time, as in, mm-hmm. you know, the timber barons that kind of built the west side of the, you know, state and put their put their mark on it. But cattle baron. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a uniquely Western term as well. And a lot of that happened throughout southeastern Oregon, but yeah. uh, yep, definitely a unique part of our history. 
One thing I also wanted to touch on, and this is going to seem weird, is just where to get gas. Like that might not seem top of mind if you're traveling from the west side where there's gas stations every few miles. But when you get out to those big wide open spaces and there's like hundreds of miles between stops like that, there aren't a ton of places to fill up. I always bring an extra like six gallons uh, just in case. So any advice here on like planning ahead to make sure you don't like run out of gas in the middle of the desert? Yeah, gas is definitely a major consideration. You know, depending on how much driving you're doing, most people will probably be okay if they gas up in burns, especially if you have a more fuel efficient vehicle. But if you're going to be doing a lot of sightseeing and want to be able to drive to all these different areas, it's probably a good idea to either carry a gas can like you usually do or know that there is gas in a couple of these small communities. So fields is probably the best um, location to get gas, although they are at the very southern end of Steens, but they're open year-round. They have gas consistently. I did recently see that French Glen offers fuel now. However, I think that's going to be a seasonal offering as the hotel is only open about nine months of the year. And so I think that the the station will coincide with that season. Yeah. I think the thing that just sticks out is that even once you get out to Steens, and you're, you were driving to these different places. It just takes a while to get everywhere because it's such big country. And so you're not factoring it in. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, like I have a ways to go. And like I'm like at half a tank and I'm not sure I'm going to make it. So I had a couple I've had a couple co- close scrapes out at, at, at Steens when it came to gas. So, OK, let's we, we've talked about kind of the towns nearby. We've talked about gas. So let's head up the mountain itself. Now, Steens is a pretty unique mountain. It's also not super imposing to explore, and that's because of this iconic Steens Mountain Loop Road. It's a gravel 52-mile road that travels far higher than any other road in the state, all the way above 9,000 feet. It passes a ton of highlights and goes almost all the way up to the summit, making it by far the easiest Oregon mountain above 9,000 feet to climb to the summit of, and it's thanks to this road. So the drive is kind of a highlight in itself, but, and how does the road sh- kind of shape the Steens experience? Yeah, the, the Loop Road really is a destination in and of itself. If it's your first trip out there, it's really a great way to see the varying topography and land features. So you know where you want to explore on that visit and you can kind of create an on-the-fly itinerary or so you know where you want to visit the next time around. Um, And it really gives you this amazing bird's eye view of the gorges that's hard to appreciate when you're hiking in them. So I like to think of it as kind of the first step when you're going out there. It's just a really great primer and introduction to the entire area and gets you really excited to go off and explore some of these developed trails and the gorges and look at all the lakes and just admire the scenery in general. So if you're planning a trip out there and, you know, you're considering this, like where to stay, um, you know, how am I going to get out there? Where am I going to get gas? What about the season? Because there are, you know, this is a tall mountain, a lot of alpine terrain. So what does each season kind of bring, you know, when do things generally open up? And like, I guess just how are the seasons different on on Steens in terms of what you're going to get in an experience? Every season has their wonderful components. So I would say the most popular time to go out is during the summer because the temperatures at that point are a little more consistent, albeit warm, bordering on hot. Uh, But there's also just so many wildflowers blooming. You really get this amazing display of color 
and different species. And because there's so much elevation in that mountain, you'll often see flowers well into August, especially along the summit and the ridge lines, which is fairly unusual for a lot of the other portions of the mountain. The lower elevations, you're going to miss them by the time you're there, but you can still get this amazing display late into the summer. Um, and then in the fall, the aspen stands will start changing color, which is just beautiful. And they're throughout these all these different drainages and around a lot of the lakes in that area and just add a nice pop of color after the flowers have gone. This is usually when people are out there hunting. So if you're out there at that time, you know, exercise caution, check with ODFW if you want to know what the seasons are, what people are hunting. Um, but it's also just a little less popular that time of year. People are usually back to the daily grind at school. And so you may find fewer crowds and even more solitude. The winter, uh, the mountain's gonna be covered in snow. So activities like cross-country skiing and snowshoeing are gonna be your primary opportunities. And with far fewer people, you'll probably have the place to yourself. Um, and then as things start to thaw out in the spring, that's a great time to hike and watch wildlife in the lower elevations along the western flank while the temperatures are still cool and you're waiting for the loop road to open. That usually happens around early June. Um, but April and May can be a fantastic time to be out there too. You know, still fewer people, um, but you're really going to see a lot of these animals as they're kind of waking up, so to speak, from the winter and, and starting to move along to their, their summer ground. So many different things to do out there. It really is a year-round destination. Yeah. And, you know, I've done a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about coming up, but I've never cross-country skied out there. And I've always thought that that would be a lot of fun. So do people typically just follow the the road um, up there or how do they how do they usually experience that in winter? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I've never done it either. But my understanding is that they're going to follow the roads. There is some limited snowmobiling you can do. And I know that that is specifically restricted to roads. But depending on how much snow is out there, you know, you could certainly travel off off road with your cross country skis, you know, like mm -hmm. most public lands, you can hike wherever your feet want to take you. And when you have a lot of snowpack, that could be some really fantastic time to be exploring these drainages that you might not otherwise go into because you just have that much more mobility with with skis on your feet. Okay, cool. So you could almost you could probably snowmobile up the road and then maybe even do some some trips into the into the kind of backcountry. Yeah, uh, back there in the winter. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That's kind of the one season I haven't I haven't experienced it at all is when it's really snowy up there. So putting it on the bucket list. Well, okay, so one of the the places that uh, the road accesses a lot is uh, definitely campgrounds. So let's talk about those places to uh, to set down a tent. Uh, the place that I made camp was South Steens Campground because it has really good access to uh, some of the gorges that we've already talked about a little bit, and we'll get into more later. And I've heard Fish Lake uh, is a pretty cool campground as well. But what are your favorite places to camp on Steens, and what does each kind of bring to the table? Yeah, like you, I also really enjoy South Steens Campground for its easy access to the gorges. You know, it's a fully developed campsite with uh, vault toilets, potable water, and some shade, which can be really a godsend when you're visiting this place <laughs> in the summer. Any little bit of shade you can get is fantastic. Um, fish Lake is also a great site, especially if you want to fish. Uh, they stock the lake with rainbow trout, 
and it can be really nice to have a place to swim. You can take non-motorized non-motorized boats out there too, um, which is definitely unusual in that area because most of the streams are going to be difficult to access with a, a boat or they're just going to be too lush with vegetation. So that's a nice place to go. Um, it's definitely family friendly, especially if you're used to, to camping by lakes on the west side or more in the Cascade Range. Um, other than that, though, there's also Page Springs, which is a lot closer to French Glen. That is uh, located along the Donner and Blitzen River and also offers some great fishing uh, for red band trout. This one's a little further from the main hiking attractions, but there are a couple of short hikes near the campground that are really great for families or for people that want to have a slightly mellower trail to follow. And there's also some beaver in the, the river there, so that it's kind of nice if you can catch a sighting of them. Um, and then, of course, being on public land, there's just a bounty of dispersed primitive camping. You know, you can mm. essentially camp wherever, although there are limitations to that. If you want to go that, that route, you just need to be prepared for no shade. There are juniper, but juniper are a little more dispersed along the uh, like the western flanks. And look at the BLM's recre recreation map before you go out so you know where private land is, what roads are open, and then, of course, follow Leave No Trace and fire safety guidelines just to keep everyone safe. All right. Well, you know, we've talked about places – to, to drive, to, to camp, to, you know, have a, a place, you know, uh, something over your head, a roof over your head at night. You know, I'm curious about the visitation up there. You know, when I traveled out here in the 2010s, it was pretty quiet, all things considered. I never had issues getting a camping spot. It never seemed very busy to me. Has that changed in the past few years as seemingly everywhere in Oregon has seen this big recreation boom? Has that made its way out to Steens Mountain? And if so, has it changed the experience? Yeah, Steens has definitely seen an increase in visitation, especially since the pandemic in 2020. You know, a lot of people suddenly had the time to make the long drive out here and were able to experience how beautiful this place is. And so what that means is that finding a campsite may be a little trickier than it has been in the past. All of the campgrounds out here are first come, first serve and generally have 20 sites and some of them have fewer. So they can fill up pretty quick. Um, so I would recommend that people be familiar with all of these different options and try to get there earlier so that they can get a site. Uh, maybe as people are leaving that have been there the next day. Also, what that means, though, is for these smaller towns, French Glen, Diamond, and Field, that the reservations for those rooms are going to fill up quicker. So you'll need to be looking further out and trying to book those further in advance if you want to be able to visit in the season that you actually want to get out there in. Yeah, it's interesting. I always thought of, you know, in the early 2010s and even before that, I always thought about southeastern Oregon in particular as a place where you could go pretty much any time and you were going to be good just because it's so far from from anything. I feel like the rise of Bend and the number of people moving there has changed that equation a little bit. And so now there's just more people who can get out there a little bit quicker. I'm just curious if you've observed that at all. Yeah, I think Bend is definitely a, a major hub for people to live, especially with the pandemic. A lot of people moved here and a lot of people are, are enjoying the amazing cascades, but wanting to go places where there are fewer people. And Steens is probably the best known place in southeastern Oregon. So it, it makes sense that that's where a lot of people are going. And it's really a fantastic 
first place to go if you've never spent a lot of time in the high desert. All right, well, we're going to take a minute to hear from our sponsors for a first time. When we come back, we'll talk about the amazing places specifically to explore at Steens, including deep gorges, historic ranches, and what might be the most beautiful lake in Oregon. So stay with us. I'm Sarah Gafori with American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. I moved to Oregon because of my love for the outdoors. It also inspired me to go to law school and pursue a career in environmental law. At AFRC, I have the pleasure of advocating for science-based forest management throughout the West. Protecting our public lands helps achieve important conservation goals, including clean air, clean water, and robust wildlife habitat. It also helps provide renewable, climate-friendly wood products that we all depend on. We strongly believe that active management of our public lands is the right thing to do for the environment, for the economy, and for our future. Learn more about AFRC at amforest.org. All right, so you've made your way out to Steens. Maybe you're in French Glen, maybe you're at a campground, but now it's time to start exploring. I think the first place we've got to talk about is Steens Summit and Wild Horse Lake Basin. Now you can drive way up there and make your way to this little parking lot that sits around 9,500 feet. It's got to be the highest parking lot in Oregon by a lot. And then you could basically just walk up to the summit which I recall being a little bit of a letdown because it's kind of filled with uh, radio tower communication buildings or, or something like that. But then the real treat is Wild Horse Lake, which is just this incredible lake sitting in this kind of hanging valley at 8,500 feet, kind of sits above the desert. So for you, what makes this area special and, and what do you people generally do in this area? Yeah, Wild Horse Lake was my first backpacking trip in Steens um, back in 2014. So it was, it definitely holds some great memories for me. Um, there's actually two lakes down there. One is Wild Horse Lake and then Little Wild Horse Lake, although Little Wild Horse Lake can be dry depending on the how much precipitation there was that year and just the time of year. But both are fed by a bunch of little creeks and snowmelt and create kind of just these idyllic little spots surrounded by the rugged rims of Wild Horse Canyon. In the summer, there are wildflowers galore on the hill slopes. You could spend hours admiring and photographing the natural beauty of this area. Um, the first time I visited, I saw people fishing in the lake, which I, I'm not sure if that's still something you can do. I believe that it's stocked and I don't know if they're keeping that up, but in the past you've been able to fish and so that might still be something you can do. But if you're adventurous, you can swim in this super cold water, it's really refreshing. It'll wake you right up. Or you can bring something to float on down there. You know, it. and the, the neat thing about this lake is that it looks like it's really close because you can see it from up there on the loop road, but it actually is a, a pretty good hike down there. I, I think it's about 1,200 feet below and um, you lose that elevation over 1.2 miles. So relatively quick, but it's just a, it's a really great first place to go visit in Steens and get an idea of just the amazing glacial history of this area. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting visually. Like I can't think of 
many other places that are like this where it's basically sitting in this kind of like I guess hanging valley might be the right word but mm -hmm. when you're at the top of it you can see the lake but then you can also see off the edge of the this massive cliff at the edge of the mountain and so you can like see into the desert that's like a vertical mile below and it's just a very interesting visually visual place just because it's like lake and then like the sea of desert beyond this huge cliff. Um, do you do you know like a Reader's Digest version of the geology that that created this? Was this just a gl glacier carving it out, or what's going on here? Yeah. So my understanding is that like the other gorges, it was uh, there was a glacier in there. It just didn't wasn't the same size as what you would see in Little Blitzen and Big Indian. And so as it melted it didn't scour it to quite the same degree. It does scour it. So if you could technically follow Wild Horse Creek, which drains from the lake all the way down to the valley, um, but it's not quite the same size of gorge. And I think it's at that point technically called a canyon rather than a gorge, but still same sort of principle, just maybe not quite as dramatic. For sure. All right. So now that we're talking about, you know, hiking, uh, you know, I want to add a little bit of backpacking in there. And I think Steens has a few really cool options that, again, are not like really anything else in Oregon or nothing that comes to mind for me. And that is the two gorges, these big U-shaped valleys in the mountain. It's really unique to, to hike in there, um, especially when you've seen it from the top. And it's just yeah, it feels like you're in the inside of a, the world's largest boat or something like that. It's it's pretty interesting. And so the two big ones are Big Indian and Little Blitzen. As we mentioned, they're both right next to South Steen's campground. So what sticks out to you about the two places, Big Indian and Little Blitzen? How are they different? How are they the same? And how do you typically go about exploring them? So Big Indian... Big Indian and Little Blitzen are really the creme de la creme of Steens Mountain, in my opinion. You just can't fully experience the mountain without hiking in either one of those. I personally have a bit of a softer spot for Big Indian since it's the first gorge I explored, but Little Blitzen is equally gorgeous. Um, you know, to access either, you start from South Steens and you're, you kind of hike across the sagebrush and you're completely exposed to the sun. So it can get pretty hot and brutal in the summer. But once you reach the first stream crossing in either one, it's just an incredible change of scenery from there on. You cross the streams a couple times, which is just incredibly refreshing. You're starting to see different vegetation. When you're there in the summer, you have these amazing displays of wildflowers, you know, everything from monk's hood to elephant's head to corn lily along those riparian drainages. And then Within the meadows, as you get further away from the river, you have lots of paintbrush and balsam root and lupin. It's really just a wildflower paradise. So, you know, when you're hiking through there, it's amazing scenery. The canyons start to open up and you just really can see how vast and long and deep these gorges are. It's an impressive display of geology and just an absolute pleasure to hike through. So in either one, you hike in there, stop along the river. There's lots of aspen groves to get some shade in. You can really just take your time and explore as much as you want to. And the, really, I think, though, if you want to experience it in the best way possible is to do a loop. So you go in one gorge, hike up a head wall, come down the other gorge, and then you kind of 
make your way back to South Steens. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. It's it's a pretty physically challenging hike. You end up climbing and descending about 4,000 feet. There's no trail out of the headwall, so it's a bit of scrambling. But it's really it's such a unique experience and a fantastic way to experience just the sheer size and topography of that area. And well, now now I'm really jealous because that sounds like a lot of fun. When I when I was out there, I just kind of went in and hiked to the end of both because um, I was I was there. I was doing book research essentially. I was writing about uh, the best hikes in Southern Oregon, and so I was kind of in and out with both of them. But put, turning it into a big loop where you hit both in the same trip. How long would that would like do you, would you do maybe like a day or two or like how long of a trip is that? Yeah, you know, you can do it in as few as two. When I did it, I did it in two days. So we did one gorge one day, one gorge the next day. I think that was a little fast. So I would probably say plan on three days so that you can really take mm. your time and explore the areas, you know, allow yourself time to take a nap under an aspen grove or just to really <laughs> enjoy listening to the streams and looking at the wildflowers. And I think, you know, if you go in one day and kind of camp near the back of a gorge, and then you can wake up the next day refreshed and hike out and then hike back in. And then you camp just as you get into the next gorge and then hike out the next day. I think that's probably the perfect setup. It kind of distributes the mileage and the challenge relatively evenly. I think total, that's about a 24 mile hike. So it's it's definitely a bit of a jaunt, but I think it's definitely worth it. If you're going to be taking the time to drive all the way out there, definitely do that if you can. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. That I might have to put that back on the list because that really sounds like a good way to experience the area. I'm curious about the headwalls though, because again, painting a little bit of a picture, it's kind of hard to describe these without a, a picture or seeing them because, you know, there's the the river or the creek down at the bottom and then really like two, 3,000 foot cliffs that just rise up on both sides. So again, it feels like you're almost like in the world's largest boat or something like that. But the headwalls, is it difficult to, to climb out of theirs? Are there, are there obvious established routes to get out of one gorge and then into the next one? You know, in uh, Big Indian, so there's a running camp that hosts a, a camp out there every summer, and they do they do a route where they essentially drop into Big Indian and then run around and then go up and out Little Blitzen. And they drop in from the Wild Horse Lakeside. And so I think it's possible you can find a somewhat visible path over there. When I went out, we went out the north side of Big Indian, and we essentially just found a drainage where there was some nice vegetation that if we needed to grab onto and, and get a, a grip, we could. It, you know, it looks very steep when you're there, but once you start going up, it's not that steep. And if you have hiking poles and you're, you're pretty sure on your foot, I think it's fairly easy to manage and kind of just weave your way in and out, but most people are probably going to go over to the Wild Horse Lake side because then you can do a nice little side trip over into that basin and mm -hmm. see some more fantastic scenery. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds great. I, I really like the idea of turning that into a two gorges loop or something like that. So that sounds really fun. Now, okay, so beyond Wild Horse Lake, the campgrounds and the gorges, what other places would you say are worth visiting as you travel that Steens Mountain Loop Road? What are the other highlights? 
Yeah, so there's the Riddle Ranch. I haven't personally been here, but I know a lot of people really enjoy seeing this. So it's a historic homestead site for these three brothers who are ranchers there at the turn of the 20th century. And you can uh, drive up there in the summer and you can hike between these different uh, little cabins and just see where these people lived when they were out there, which is kind of an, another neat experience to just appreciate the history of occupation in the area. Um, also, when you get up closer to the, the summit area, there's a nice overlook of the Kiger Gorge. There is like a little small foot trail that kind of follows the rim there, which is just great to see this other impressive uh, U-shaped valley in the area, but this one is flowing from south to north. And then once you get up to the top, the overlook towards the Alvord Desert is just phenomenal. You have such a wide, expansive view to the east. And I, I think that's probably the one of the, the best parts of the loop drive. And it just really gives you a great preview of what you're going to see if you make your way over to the east side of the mountain. Yeah, well, speaking of the east side, uh, why don't we pop over to that side of the mountain? Because they're two very different places. You know, when you're on the Steens Mountain Loop Road, you know, you're going past trees, uh, you know, sagebrush. It's It feels not lush, but it feels like you're in, you know, kind of a vibrant ecosystem. You hop over to the east side and, you know, you got the Alvor Desert right there. There's this great road, the East Steens Road that travels right below this cliff edged summit on the edge of the desert. I think the first place I explored out in that area was Pike Creek Canyon. And there's a really remarkable, almost like crack in the eastern edge of Steens. Uh, it, it's almost hard to believe, like when you look up at this like vertical wall <laughs> that you could hike anywhere in there, but you find this nice little crack of a trail. And that's kind of how I describe Pike Creek Canyon. Uh, how would you describe it? Yeah, I think that's a really great way to describe it. I would say that it's definitely a rugged canyon, very hidden from view. It really kind of opens up once you start hiking up the trail in there. Um, and it just has these really impressive rock formations that are a little different than what you're going to see in the gorges. The gorges are fairly smooth. There is some some rims and some different variations, but because the rivers have really done a lot more scouring on the east side, you're going to see a little more meandering in these areas. And so just some different different rocks out there. You know, the canyon was historically mined. And so the trail that you follow is actually a converted two-track route into the area. And once you get in there a little further, you can see some remnants of the, the old mining track, which is kind of just a neat nod to the history of that area. And the entire time you're following Pike Creek and rising and descending to meet it and getting some really nice intermittent shade from these lush willows and clematis and currents all along the stream. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, the the contrast between Pike Creek and then uh, Little Blitzen and Big Indian. You know, Big Indian and Little Blitzen, they're, they're kind of big and expansive, and you kind of see where you're going. It's very impressive. Pike Creek is is cool in its own way because you're kind of surprised. Like, you come across little things you didn't expect all over the place. Like, I think you mentioned the mining history. I guess when I was there, I can't quite remember it, but there was like almost like a doorway that was like a wooden doorway that was just <laughs> randomly there that you could like walk inside of. And so there's like just little like Easter eggs, I feel like peppered all through there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I remember that same little, I think it's like this little tiny shack and 
yeah. I, tried, I tried looking up what it was and I couldn't quite figure it out. But yeah, just all these little remnants of what people used to do there and just some really beautiful rocks too. completely mm-hmm. different rock formations and rock colors. And it's it's definitely a treat, especially if you're really into looking into rocks and the, the geology of things. You're going to see a little more variation on that side of the mountain. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a good way of describing it. So what else is out on that east side? Again, we talked about you're right on the edge of the Alvor Desert, this vast sweeping landscape that, again, doesn't look like anything else in Oregon. You know, a lot of people love that area, uh, especially for like night sky uh, viewing, like the stars out there are something else. But how do you best explore that region? Do you drive out onto the desert? Is there places to hike out? Like, how would you go about exploring that region yeah the alvord is probably just about as well known as dean's mountain you know it's it's just such a picturesque place it's the remnant of ancient lake alvord that today spans about 20 miles long but once was i believe up to about 100 miles long and really went along the entire eastern portion of dean's mountain Um, it's just this massive area of white alkali soil that is incredible and how widespread it is. And when you see it at the Steen Summit, it's really impressive, but it's it's almost overwhelming when you're on it because all you can see is white to the horizon. You know, a lot of people come out here and they'll ride bikes on it or their land sail, which is kind of like windsurfing, but with wheels instead of water. Um, or just driving around on it is quite the experience you know you feel like you're going a million miles an hour because there's nothing flying past you it just feels like you're 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 still but you're also moving at the same time it's kind of this really interesting almost time warp feeling um but because there's absolutely no shade out there it gets incredibly hot in the summer however because steens mountain rises almost 5,000 feet above it the sun goes behind the mountains by fairly early evening, so it becomes quite pleasant later in the, the day. So if this is your first time visiting the Alvord, I like to recommend coming in from the south. You know, as you're approaching, you're kind of paralleling the mouth of Wild Horse Canyon, and you can't see the playa at all. And then you drive up this little rise, and all of a sudden, you pop out, and the, the desert is just there spanning the entire width of what you can see. It's a really dramatic entrance. And I think the best way to fully appreciate how large this desert is. And on your way, you can make a little pit stop at Fields for one of their famous milkshakes, which is just a fantastic indulgent treat on a hot day. I'm curious, are there any established routes out there? Like like, like for driving or for biking? Like, is there anything to market? Is there any like typical way people go or is it just like here it is go do your thing yeah it's kind of just here it is you know explore on your own the the one thing i'll say is you really can only access it from frog springs which is near the south end um so you definitely want to go there that's also the only place where there's a vault toilet but otherwise drive wherever you want now when you start getting toward the edge of the playa you're going to start seeing a bunch of greasewood which are just these really wide shrubs. Once you get over into that portion, you're kind of getting to the the edge of the the desert. And so you don't want to be driving into that area because that's starting to get into areas where animals are living and there's other plants. And we just want to be really respectful of 
all of the wildlife that's going to be out there. But you can hike wherever you want out there. You can ride your bike out there. So I would say you really have any option that you want. You want. It's just that it's going to be hot and you need to be, you know, carrying your water and just being uh, aware of where you are so you can make it safely back to your vehicle. Yeah, well, speaking of of wildlife, that was that was also something I was something I was going to ask about. Uh, we just had a podcast on Heart Mountain Antelope Refuge, and you know we talked about you know the the bighorn sheep and the sage grouse that you can see out there that is kind of characteristic of that area and kind of you know is a big highlight. Does Steens have something similar? Does it have some of the same animals? Like what if you're into wildlife watching or conversely hunting? Uh, what are what are the kind of animals that are out there? It does have a lot of the same things that you're going to find on Heart Mountain. Um, mule deer and pronghorn for sure. There are also bighorn sheep. I know that that's something that a lot of people will go out there to hunt. Um, you can definitely see them in some of the rockier gorges. I've actually only seen them once and it was crossing the highway as I was driving north from fields surprisingly, but I saw quite a, a nice group of them. And that was a really neat little sighting. Um, there are also sage grouse. There's lots of songbirds that are moving through there throughout the season. So if you're a birder, it's a fantastic place to go and see everything that you can observe. You know, it's, it's bordered by the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, which also is just really important habitat for migratory water birds. So there's definitely great opportunities to check out those while you're out there. And then there's reptiles, you know, there's rattlesnakes, there's lizards. I personally really enjoy seeing those um, because even though they're fairly common, they're really effective at hiding and not being found. They're often unappreciated and they've just adapted so incredibly to live in this unique environment that it just makes the sighting a really special thing. You know, and this is something that I like about having Steens and Alvord right next to each other is you can spend a lot of time out there. Like it's a long drive, but there's a lot to see between the campgrounds and the historic hotels and the gorges and Wild Horse Lake and Fish Lake and then heading out to the east side and all that has to offer. So you can really spend a solid week, if not more, in this area. Like it, you don't get shortchanged with a road trip out here. No, definitely not. You could you could spend as much time as you want to exploring all of these areas in depth and you'll you'll always find something new, which is just I think the mark of a really great place to recreate. All right, well, we're going to take another quick break to hear from our second sponsor. When we return, we'll talk about the challenges Steen's Mountain is facing and the unique way that it came together. That's when we return. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. So the trails of the Oregon coast and the Tillamook Coast are popular for good reason. They offer everything from panoramic ocean views to stands of venerable old growth trees. With the need to get outside and experience these places stronger now than ever, you'll find their parking lots and trails are also often full. With a little pre-planning, you can avoid the crowds and discover some new favorite trails. Visit our trails and recreation map online at TillamookCoast.com. You can choose from a wide variety of lesser known trails. Not only will you be opening yourself up to new discovery, but you'll be helping to ease the wear and tear on many of our most crowded spots. So once again, check out TillamookCoast.com to get started with your less traveled adventure. 
All right. Well, the way that the management of Steens Mountain came together was a pretty interesting story and just a little bit before my outdoor reporting time. So, Anne, can you give us a short breakdown of the legislation that created the modern situation out on Steens? Yeah, the Steens Mountain Wilderness was established in 2000, and it was the result of a collaborative effort of federal agencies, ranchers, recreationists, and environmental groups like ONDA. And the goal was to preserve this landscape for these multiple uses. And so what that culminated in is 170,000 acres of wilderness, 95,000 acres of which were designated as livestock free. And that was the first of its kind. And that's the area that's really up along the summit. The Steens Act, which is what it's called in the, the legislature, also established the Cooperative Management and Protection Area, which is also called the CMPA. And that includes the wilderness, six WSA surrounding the wilderness, and other federally managed land totaling 500,000 acres. And the purpose of this was to conserve, protect, and manage the long-term ecological integrity of the Greater Steens Mountain Area, not just the wilderness. And this is really I think important for conserving large areas of wildlife habitat as a kind of safe haven for these species, but areas where we can also recreate in doing all these different activities. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the, the challenges that have cropped up? I mean, every part of Oregon has, has been impacted in some way by the state's increasing population, by climate change. So how is that manifesting itself at Steens and, you know, what are what are people doing about it? Yeah, so the Steens area, like other portions of the state, is not impervious to climate change. Warming temperatures are definitely having an impact on the amount of water out here. So what's in the streams, the snowpack and the vegetation. And that's definitely something that is being monitored because there is such a variation in elevation, these high elevation areas of steams are really being looked at as an important portion for the future of a lot of these species because they're going to be a lot more resilient and able to adapt to these warmer temperatures. All right. Well, why don't you uh, give us a quick plug for uh, your employer, the Oregon Natural Desert Association? I know it you know, they've been very active throughout uh, the Oregon desert. So, uh, you know, what does the organization do and, and kind of what do you do with them? Yeah, so Oregon Natural Desert Association is a nonprofit advocacy organization that works towards conserving public lands in southeastern Oregon. And I am the conservation coordinator with them. So I look at um, and evaluate conservation concerns and opportunities in southeastern Oregon. And before that, I got to do a lot of field work in these different landscapes and especially on Steens Mountains. So I've had a lot of really unique experiences out in the desert that are, I think, just a special treat for being with Onda. All right. Well, once again, I've been talking to Ann White with the Oregon Natural Desert Association. Ann, thanks so much for taking your time and talking about us, about all that Steens has to offer. Thanks for having me. It was such a pleasure. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council, 
AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforests.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.